0: pastor of the church, lead pastor. and We have Matt McConnell back there who's on the soundboard this morning. And of course, you've already met Caleb and you've met Rachel and then Pastor Gene as well. And that's our staff. So we're we're glad that you're here. And of course, lots of different ways to keep in touch. You've already seen that. We've got websites. By the way, all the sermons now lately have been put back up on the website. So if you're if you're missing one, you want to go back and pick it up. It's there. Lots of information. You can also text 41411, the word fountain to that and that'll put you on our text messaging service and text the word youth and you'll be on the youth for that one and then also let's see oh we can also send out emails to you if you want so we've got lots of ways where you stay in touch with what's going on here we go now we are right in the middle of a very very short series there's only three weeks and today happens to be the second so we are exactly in the middle of a short series based on this one question right here ready do you believe in anything greater than yourself now before you rush To that answer, and go, Yes, I believe in whatever. Let me ask you this, because here's where it really comes down to it Can you accept it when you disagree, when it doesn't make sense, or when believing it will cost you? everything. See, a lot of people say, oh yeah, I believe, but then, but then they use their own human understanding, their own mind, their own reasoning to decide whether something that that thing out there has said is true or not, which really means what? Do they believe in something greater? No. There's nothing greater than my own intelligence. There's nothing greater than my own ability to understand. And if I can't understand it, if it doesn't make sense to me, or if I don't agree with it, then that's it. I just don't believe it, which means you don't believe in anything greater Than yourself. It's been going on a long, 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 long time. I showed you this quote last time, kind of a little review here. This is from the Buddha. Now he didn't exactly say this because what he said was so long, it would take a long time to do it. But this is kind of a synopsis of what the Buddha said, believe nothing, no matter where you read it or who has said it, not even if I've said it, unless it agrees with your own reason and your own common sense, there is nothing greater than you and your ability to understand. Okay. That's been the teaching for thousands of years. so that's why we are in a a three-part series it's very prevalent today this whole idea by the way why we are in a a three parts called this ready i think that i shall never see anyone greater than me 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 and we laugh and we giggle and all that but you know what that's kind of the way the world thinks today the way we think in america We're very educated We've we've lots of information and we take everything that we hear and we read and we run it through the filter of our own understanding and of our own imagination and our own intelligence and decide whether it's right or not. And when we do that, what we're saying is there is nothing greater than me. Just me. But this is what the Bible says. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you and there's the problem isn't it all of us have that tendency to be a little puffed up in our own estimation our own abilities our own understanding our own education whatever it is now there is one book in the bible that addresses the whole issue we told about it last week what is that book it is the book of judges Judges. yeah one whole book that addresses just this particular issue Every book out there, by the way, within the Bible, there's a reason it was written and it's addressing something. And we we try to teach you that in our Learning for Life classes. It'll take you a couple of years to go through all of those classes, but when you're done, you should be able to take a look at these books and go, yeah, that's what that book's about and this one and this one. The Bible's not that big of a mystery, really. There are some things that God says in it that still don't make sense to us, but we believe it. There's a reason these books were written. And Judges was written because people were just kind of doing their own thing. It's the seventh book of the Bible. By this point in time, Moses has already led them out of Egypt, and then Joshua has led them across the Jordan and settled in the promised land. The law has been given. There it is. Boom. Everything's great. But there's no king because God is supposed to be king, there's no ruler. Everybody's supposed to know what's, what, they're, what they're going to do. But unfortunately, people aren't following the law. They begin to do their own thing. Last week, we looked at chapters 19 through 21 about that incredible story that many of you probably have never heard before. If you want to hear it, you can get it back online and it'll tell you all about it. It's kind of an interesting little story, particularly since there's no hero there and nobody gets really their comeuppance and the book just kind of ends. And you kind of wonder, what's this whole thing about? Well, that's because of what God is trying to get across. People were making themselves the highest authority. And this is what we learned last week. Making myself the highest authority, first of all, leads to what we call moral relativism and we are now in your sermon notes if you'd like to fill those in in other words uh, there's no right or wrong objectively out there right and wrong is whatever i want it to be it's kind of up to me i kind of get get to do my own thing and, and and something may be true for you but that doesn't mean it's true for me and there is no real truth out there that that's true for everybody truth is just kind of a relative thing to the situation, to the person, to their background. It's called moral relativism. Very prevalent today. And matter of fact, let me show you. I showed this to you last week, but I want to remind you this is from a, uh, a life coach named uh, Dinah Bloss. Everyone's truth is their own truth, everyone's belief is their own belief. None are wrong, none are right. They just, by the way, people pay her money for this. She's a life coach, that's how she makes her money. She signs people up and, and she coaches them through life. She makes a good living doing this. None are wrong, none are right, they just are. To deny someone their truth is to deny yourself of yours. Why? Wow. That's it. Moral relativism. That's just the way that it works. This is what the Bible says about that. Doom to you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness in place of light and light in place of darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Doom to you who think you're so smart and who hold such a high opinion of yourselves okay there's an objective right and wrong there is we need to know what that is making myself that highest authority leads to moral relativism but then what we notice is it leads to anarchy and in, in the story that we talked about again you can get down on online every i'm all the things that happened, it was just incredible. I mean, whole towns were wiped out. Whole tribes were wiped out. Women and children and babies were wiped out. Uh, young women were, were abducted and forced into marriage. It's incredible. And everybody just thought, okay, no big deal. At least the anarchy it means there's no rule. There's no law. If we all did what was right, well, what's to keep me from taking all your stuff because it's right? And the only thing keeping you from keep taking my stuff is Smith & Wesson, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's stupid but that's how they lived and unfortunately that's where it leads alright that's why the book of Judges ends right here this is the last verse in the book of Judges in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes no right or wrong no authority nobody greater than yourself it leads to that moral relativism and it leads to anarchy now today we're going to go to a different part of judges talk about a whole different uh judge because that's what god would set up the people would do something stupid and he would raise up a judge and that judge would rule for a little while and we're going to talk about a couple of those one today and one next week see we can still believe in god and be too big for our britches we can still believe that 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 God is there, but still become so arrogant in our own understanding of him and what he wants. Get a little too big for our britches, that it leads to destruction. We're gonna take a look at that by looking at the judge named Samson. All right. I'm gonna speak very poorly about Samson, and I hope that when I see him up there in heaven he no longer has that strength that he has, so he's gonna rip me apart. Let me tell you the story of Samson. Okay, some of you have heard it. Some of you have heard parts of it. You don't know all of it. Uh, Some of you have studied it. We're going to take a look at it and understand why God allowed some of this stuff to happen and the fact that Samson was pretty arrogant. It starts in chapter 13 of the book of Judges with a barren wife she wants a child so desperately and uh, she isn't having a child and the angel of the lord shows up and says don't worry you're going to have a child and at this point in time because the children of israel had done evil again god had allowed the philistine nation to come and conquer them so now israel is even though they own the land they are now conquered and ruled by the nation by the philistines who've taken over everything and god is going to as he does time and time again in the book of judges he's going to Uh, rescue the people of Israel from these marauding invaders, in this case the Philistines, through the leadership of a judge. This judge happens to be Samson. That doesn't mean Samson is a good guy, okay? Just means that he's the chosen instrument. We'll see how badly he messes up. So the angel of the Lord comes to his mom and says, look, don't worry, you're going to have, but here's here's the rules, ready? You can't drink any wine or anything from the fruit of the vine while you're expecting No vinegar, no grape juice, no wine, nothing. When he's born, he can drink nothing from the vine for the rest of his life, nothing. And you can't cut his hair. He's going to take a Nazarite vow. Other people did this, by the way, and they didn't have strength. But Samson, because of a promise from God, didn't drink wine, didn't drink grape juice, didn't drink anything, didn't use vinegar and anything of that, didn't touch anything unclean, including a dead body, even if it was his own family. He never, if his mother passed away, he could not touch the body because he was a Nazarite. He'd taken that vow. He was going to be clean for his whole life and he wouldn't cut his hair and his hair would grow and grow and grow. Now it, it wasn't, down long like you would imagine because he braided it into seven braids that's how he kept it from interfering with his life he was braided and because he kept his vow he was a judge and a special man and he had incredible strength as god had said but he also let it go to his head and i don't mean his hair i mean his ego Chapter 14 is when we actually pick up the uh, the whole story of the adult Samson. And Samson now is an adult. He's a judge. He's supposed to be fighting the Philistines because that's why he was even born. And he's not. There's not a single solitary record of Samson rallying the troops of Israel to fight the Philistines and kick them out. The only time, you're going to see he will fight them, but the only time he will fight them is out of personal revenge. Now that's huge. Remember that. He was called to lead the people of Israel against the Philistines to kick them out. But the only time he ever attacked them was for personal revenge. Right? In fact, not only was he not attacking the Philistines in chapter 14, he falls in love with one wants to marry her and he begs and pleads his parents i want to marry this philistine woman what are you doing samson well why because he's the great samson the rules don't apply to him he's the judge he's got the strength he did not have to follow the rules god will bless him anyway Whew, man and he gets the wife on the way to the wedding and everything he's attacked by a lion at one point and he rips the lion apart with his bare hands and then when he's finally going back for the actual ceremony there's a, a hive of bees that have built a nest in the carcass of the lion and he he goes over and he eats some of the honey now when he gets to the wedding party he decides to uh, once again show off his his incredible intellect not just his strength because he's a pretty arrogant guy you see and he says look i'll tell you a little riddle and here's the deal. You guys guess the riddle, and I will give you 30 sets of clothing. But if you can't guess the riddle, you have to give me 30 sets of clothing. Okay. They go, sure, why not? And here was his riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, what's the answer? For three days, they couldn't figure it out. And they realized they were going to have to give this guy 30 uh, things of clothing. And so they go to his new wife. And they say... Go trick your husband. Find out what the answer is. And she does. She comes back to them and, and and tells them that it's about honey coming out of a lion. And so just when he thinks he's going to get thirty sets of clothes, they say to him, "Boy, what's what's um, sweeter than honey? And what's stronger than a lion?" And he looks at them, and he knows what happened now. He knows He knows that his wife betrayed him. And here's where, if you've ever heard this phrase, here's where it comes from. He said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Which is a way of saying, if you hadn't tricked my wife, you would have never gotten it. But now I owe you 30 sets of clothes. So what did he do? Well, he went out and and he murdered 30 men. Stripped them of their clothing and gave it to them. That's samson now remember he's supposed to rise up against the philistines but all he's doing it for is personal revenge and because of all of this they take his wife and they give her to another man when he finally comes back and he wants to be with his wife they say sorry she belongs to someone else so now Samson rises up again and he takes a bunch of foxes and he, and he ties their tails together and, and, and sets little torches on fire and they go off and they, they set all of the fields and all of their food on fire and now the town where his wife lives decides, okay, we've had enough of this so they go to his wife who was just married to him and they burn her alive along with her family. If you're looking for righteousness in here you're going to look really hard. You didn't know the Bible had this stuff in it, did you? It's there. Because of that, he declares war on the Philistines. Finally, he declares war on the Philistines. But again, it's only because he's been personally injured. It's not because he's fulfilling what God had asked him to do. In the, in the end, this is going to kill him. And in one battle, when they fall on him, he, uh, he takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills 1,000 Philistines with it. This guy's a big guy. He's a strong guy. You see, this is the problem with making yourself as the highest authority. Even if you believe in God, you still think you are the highest authority. It does lead to moral relativism, but it also does this. It leads to arrogance. Arrogance. I think that I shall never see anyone greater than me. Oh, well, God's greater than me, but below that, I'm pretty great. He was supposed to lead the nation of Israel and kick out the Philistines. And he will in the very end, but it's going to cost his life. But he did it for revenge. He made his own rules. He fought the battle his own way. He was a pompous, arrogant nitwit, which is why I'm hoping he doesn't have that prodigious strength when I made him face to face up there. But he was. Just like each one of us from time to time is a pompous, arrogant Nitwit. And if that moniker, if that uh, label doesn't apply to you, you think, turn to your spouse sitting next to you and find out if it really does. But don't be surprised when they come back and say, yeah, every now and then, you're a pompous, arrogant nitwit. You think you know it all, and you don't mm-hmm this is what scripture says if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing he deceives himself that's good woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight wow so you see with this, with this setting yourself up as, as the highest authority okay there is a god but under god man i understand what's going on and, and i can understand right and wrong all on my own and my own understanding my own mind and my own wants and ways yeah at least that arrogance which then leads to foolish decisions he wasn't supposed to marry the philistines he was supposed to fight them but that rule doesn't apply to him he's just so smart foolish foolish decisions We all make them, don't we? I'm going to give you some examples of of statements that if if you're thinking these statements, you better double think. Here we go. Ready? Some foolish statements look like this. Ready? No one will know. Okay, if if you're saying that to yourself, "Mm, it will be different this time. Oh, my word. How many times have we gone into relationships or done things? Oh, it will be different this time. Really, why? What's changed? Could you tell me what's changed? Why will it be different this time? I've seen people go into relationship after relationship after relationship that goes bad and bad and bad, but it'll be different this time. And try to say to them, could you stop for a moment? Do you understand that the only thing every one of those bad relationships had in common was you? Maybe something needs to change in you before we move on. Oh, it won't hurt anybody. How about this one? I can do it if I want to. If you're thinking these things, then I would encourage you to think again. Very possibly you're about to do something foolish. And this is what the Bible says. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. And see, that's the problem. When we we, we set ourselves up as the highest authority. Okay, there's a God out there, but I really fully understand everything God's all about and I know. And so I don't need anybody to speak truth into my life because I am the highest authority in this planet. And in my own life, it leads to that, that moral relativism. It leads to that arrogance, which leads to foolish decisions, which then leads to destruction. This is the way the Bible puts it. There is a way that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. Let me tell you how it happened for Samson and his destruction. He fell in love again. His first wife has been uh, given to another man and then burned alive. And he's fallen in love again with another Philistine woman. He said, Good night. What is going on in your head? Well, it's probably not his head he's thinking with. You're welcome <laughs> he falls in love with a woman named there we go now you know delilah sure delilah who doesn't love him back but then again his first wife didn't love him back either this is just a woman he wanted to possess so the uh, the leaders of the philistines because by this point in time now samson is waging a one-man war against the philistines and he's winning against an entire nation they want him dead so they go to Delilah and they say, "Can you figure out get him to tell you the secret so that we can defeat him?" So his his new bride, Delilah, comes to him and says, uh, "I'm your wife. No secrets. Tell me, you can trust me. Tell me." Now obviously he knew he couldn't trust her because he lies, and he says, "Well, if you take thongs that have never been dried, I mean, just fresh thongs, and you tie me up, I can't break them. So he's sleeping. She does. While he's sleeping, she says, Samson, the Philistines are here. And of course, he breaks the thongs, kills all the Philistines. Now, what would you do if you were Samson at that point? Look at her and say, you tricked me, I want you out. Because he's the great Samson. And she comes to him and says, You lied to me! Didn't you just try to kill him? But you lied to me! How can you tell us that you love me if you lied to me? What's the real secret? So he says, Well, the real secret is this. You have to use ropes that have never been used before. And if you do that, I'm weak. It's a lie again. So he's sleeping. She ties him up with new ropes that have never been used. Suddenly... The Philistines show up, the soldiers, and she says, Samson, the Philistines! And he stands up, he breaks the ropes, and he kills all the Philistines. Now, this is the second time, Samson! And what does she say? Oh, you lied to me! How can you say you love me? Tell me! So he says, Well, if you take the, the, my braids and my hair and you weave them together and you, and you tie it with a pin, I'll be as weak as anybody else. So again, he's sleeping. She burns the hair, ties it with a pen. Soldiers show up. Samson the Philistines! He stands up, slaughters them all. Now come on, guys, this is the third time. And this is what we read. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you? It's okay for me to try to kill you three times. That's all right. When you won't confide in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me. Yeah, this is the third time you tried to kill me. And you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Now, this is not about the wife. We could look at that and go, oh, and the nagging wife. She was fulfilling her duty to her nation. It was Samson who was the idiot. Three times. Finally, on the fourth time, he tells her the truth. Tells her about the Nazarite vow. Tells her how no razor had ever touched his head. So she shaves him in the middle of the night. The next morning when she says, Samson, the soldiers are here. He's as weak as any other man. And they take him and they arrest him and they gouge out his eyes. And throw him in prison. We're not quite done with the story yet, okay? But see this this arrogant, thinking that you are the highest authority, thinking that the rules don't apply to you, that it leads to that moral relativism we talked about, it leads to that arrogance, which leads to those foolish decisions, which leads to destruction, which leads to this. A life of regret. And that's where we find him. Broken. And humble at last, we find Samson in prison. While he's been in prison, of course, something's been going on. His hair's been growing back. We don't know how long he was held in prison, but eventually, just for sport, they bring him out to their great feast and their great festival and all the peoples are in the temple of the Philistines and they bring him out so they can make fun of him and and he has one final prayer to God because he knows that he's been an arrogant twit and he says Father one more test of strength And God answers. Samson places his hands on both pillars of the temple. Pushes them out. And the temple collapses on the people of the Philistines, killing them all. But Samson too. That's what happens when we think too highly of ourselves. That's what happens when our arrogance takes over. We begin to make those foolish decisions. We think we're above everything. When We think no one will find out. When we think we can use our own image and our own mind and our own imagination and our intellect and wisdom to kind of you know, say exactly what's going on. We don't need anybody to speak truth into our lives because we are the great fill-in-the-blank. You're not the great Samson, but you're the great whatever. So here's the thing then as we close this. What do you do about it? Now... Let's face it, none of us have that prodigious strength. We don't have to worry about that kind of thing. We're not called to be a judge of all Israel. But still, we are prone to that same sort of arrogance, that same sort of, of, you know, I'm so smart and I'm so intelligent and I think that I shall never see anyone greater than me, me, me. Oh yeah, God is greater, but beyond that, man, I know what's going on and I've got that everything under control. Be very, very careful, my friends, when we get to that point. So before it's too late, let's do this, ready? Let's replace arrogance with humility. Now that's going to happen, okay? That will happen. Scripture says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, you know what's important about that particular verse? We are going to be humbled before the Lord. It is going to happen to every single solitary human being. There is no human being that will not be humbled before God. We just have a choice. We can do it. Or he can do it. One of two things is going to happen. Either I can choose to humble myself before God. Or I can wait to let him do it for me. Just like Samson. Just like so many others. Now, how do we do that? very simple. Okay. Ready? Step one. Just accept this one right here. I'm not smart enough to be right all the time. I'm not. Now, I wish I was. And I've got so much education, it's ridiculous. I've got so many school bills. I don't know how that's smart, how smart that is anyway. But I'm so educated I could tell you my IQ, it's not genius, but it's a decent IQ. So what? You know what, what all that does once I take a look at the IQ that I have and the intelligence that I have in education? You know what I wind up doing? Doug, why do you make so many stupid decisions? How can you be that dumb? But I do. I still do. I'm just not smart enough to be right all the time. Scripture says this: The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Okay, someone says, yeah, "I'm so brilliant." You know what? No, you're not. But the man who loves God is known by God. Hey, now we're kind of focusing in. Just well, okay. It's not about what you know. It's not about how educated you are. It's not about how intelligent. It's not about your IQ. It's not about your ability to grasp the theory of relativity to explain it. Who cares? Do you love God? And I don't mean do you have some sort of emotional attachment to him. Love is not that emotional attachment. Love, scriptural love, is a commitment. A commitment that says between a man and a woman, no matter what, I'm here. A commitment that says to God, no matter what, I'm yours. That's the kind of love that we need. And maybe we need to back off just a little bit on some of the arrogant statements we in the church tend to make about people who aren't, well, in line with our theology. Maybe I'm going to get up there one day and find out that some of the things that I was so sure about, I didn't quite have all wrapped up like I thought. Which brings us to the second step here. My attitude towards others should be based on love and compassion, not on my great understanding and my great ability to think, certainly not on my arrogance. Now let me explain this just as, just give me a couple more minutes and we're going to be done here. I want to read a passage to you. This passage comes from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is trying to get a church, the church of Corinth, that's being very arrogant in how they treat one another, how very arrogant about how they see the world, very arrogant about their judgmental of the world, very arrogant about their judgment of each other, and who's right and who's wrong and who's good and who's better and who's best, and who's really righteous and who isn't really righteous, and who's the highest in the kingdom, who's the lowest in the kingdom. All this kind of nonsense is going on. In the church, and he reminds them of this: we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly, just as He knows us. In other words, you know what? Even the best of you, the most intelligent of you, the most spiritual of you, trying to understand everything that's going on you, you're probably it's more like you're looking through a fog. And maybe some of the things you're so certain about, you know, maybe, you, maybe they're not going to turn out to be that way. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Now, I'm going to stop there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is ending, right? Like, But do you remember how 1 Corinthians chapter 13 starts? We call it what? The love chapter. In First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about all the divisions and all the, the judgmental attitudes about, about things, about going on. And he says, but I'll show you a better way to do it if I speak with the, tongue, with the tongue of men and of angels. In other words, if you talk in tongues or you don't talk in tongues, but you don't have love, so what? He says, you know, the greatest thing out there is love. It's how you treat one another. So that's why he ends the whole thing saying, three things lead us to that consummation, to that time when it's all over. And here's what we believe in. First of all, trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. And love extravagantly. But the best of these three is love. God has not called us to war with the Philistines. God has not called us to war against anyone. That was an Old Testament story. God needed it to set up his nation We can't go into all the details, we don't have time to do that. God has told us that we are to represent him here in this world. God never told us to go to war against the world. God never told us to attack the attitudes and the values out there. We don't need to do that. They can't be taken down through warfare. What our fathers asked us to do is to love extravagantly. Oh, there are some things that that I believe. But God has never told me to force all of those beliefs on other people. I believe in something greater than myself and so I look at Scripture and what Scripture tells me and what I see in there, I have to hold to... With both hands. But God didn't tell me to cram it down anybody's throat. Because it doesn't work. He didn't cram it down mine. He graciously invited me. Doug, come. I want you to come. Would you come and embrace? He didn't say, eat it! And yet, don't you get? the sense from time to time that the church is saying to the world out there, this is right. Believe it. Where does that come from? Arrogance. Samson-like behavior. We will continue to stand up for what we believe is right. We will continue to stand up what we see within the word without apology but without arrogance. Because the greatest thing that we can offer the world out there is love. And we always have to put something in the back of our mind since now we are seen through a fog. Maybe I don't quite understand everything that's going on. I happen to believe this is my own personal belief that when the world is all done God is going to take all of us preachers all of us who spent decades proclaiming the word and he's going to invite us all into one great big huge room and just about the time we think we're going to get our great reward he's going to spend the next several thousand years explaining how we got it all wrong here and there in the last 500 years, he's going to be going. And in conclusion, and my last point is, and one final thing. I don't mean to say to you I'm uncertain about what I believe. I'm certain. I'm certain in Jesus Christ. I'm certain in much what I see in Scripture. But I'm not so arrogant as to tell everybody else in the world, this is what you've got to believe. My Father loves me human intellect and all. One day he'll straighten out some of the things he already has over the course of my, my career. But for now, what I want to be able to project to you, to the world, to my family, which doesn't always work, is not the arrogance, not the condemnation, but the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 11 starts talking about righteous people whom God loves, guess who one of them is? Samson. At the very end of his life, he got it right. Father, would you forgive us for our arrogance? It's, it is so human <laughs> to do that. Father, we don't want to be wishy-washy and not stand up for what we believe in, but we can do that in love without the arrogance. And that's what we're asking, Father. Remind us that we're still trying to figure out everything within this world. Father, remind us of the second and the third and the hundredth chance that you give to every person. And Father, remind us that it's not about condemning, it's about inviting. And Father, Father, That's where we want to be. As you invited us to join with you, we want to invite others, not through condemnation or arrogance, but through humility and brokenness. Invite them to know you in eternal life.